In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, tonight, we will study chapter 12 from the Gospel of St. John. We will study only half of the chapter, from verse 1 to verse 26. Uh, chapter 12 begins the countdown to the Passion of Christ, the last week of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ on earth before his crucifixion. The previous chapter actually was closed on a sad picture. After the resurrection of Lazarus, all the scribes and the chief priests, they actually conspired to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Jewish leader began a dangerous war against the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will find in this chapter, chapter 12, that there are faithful believers who will witness for the truth. And they will glorify the Lord and witness for him in spite of an overwhelming atmosphere of hatred and hostility. The chapter outline we can divide it into seven sections from verse 1 to 8, the anointing at Bethany, from 9 to 11, the plot to kill Lazarus, from 12 to 19, the triumphal entry, from uh, 20 to 26, which will be the end of our Bible study tonight, the fruitful grain of uh, wheat. Then from 7 to, 20, to 36, Jesus predicts his death on the cross. From 37 to 41, who has believed our report, as Isaiah said. And from verse 42 to 50, walk in the light. So let us read, starting from verse 1 in, in John uh, chapter 12. Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. So, the time of Jesus' death was drawing very near, now six days before his uh, crucifixion. Uh, because the, he, he, the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on the Passover. So six days before Passover means six days before his crucifixion. Uh, so we are here actually, we are beginning to study the last week of the Lord's life on earth before his crucifixion. And we can see that St. John focus strongly on the last week, devoting nearly one half of his gospel to it. The gospel of John is 22 chapters. So actually, uh, almost half of the, of the chapter uh, is about the last week, half of the gospel of John about the last uh, week of our Lord Jesus Christ, life on earth. Uh, 
Jesus returned to Bethany. As we read in John chapter 11, after he raised Lazarus, he went, uh, he went to a city called Ephraim, verse 54 in John 11. And he stayed in Ephraim. Then he started going to Jerusalem. On the way from Ephraim to Jerusalem, he stopped at Jericho, where he healed the blind man. But St. John did not record this miracle because it was recorded in the other Gospels. And then he stopped at Bethany. Then he entered, uh, then he entered Jerusalem. So, uh, so the Lord returned to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead in chapter 11. The home in Bethany was close to Jerusalem, about two miles from Jerusalem. And the Lord's visit seemed to be a preparation for the celebration of the feast of the Passover. And now the Lord was no longer seeking to avoid a conflict with the Jewish leaders. Before he avoided conflict, because his hour had not yet come. But now he is not avoiding the conflict. Because the time had come for the final confrontation with the Jews and his death. Knowing this, he openly entered Jerusalem for the final week of his life. If you remember the previous Passover, he did not uh, enter Jerusalem openly but secretly and in the middle of the feast he appeared publicly but now this time because it's the final confrontation he entered uh, openly and at the house of uh, Lazarus they prepared a meal for the Lord Jesus Christ as, as usual Martha served and Lazarus was at the table Martha served, uh, who was always busy, active, stirring woman. And she did this to testify her love to Christ. That is the way Martha used to express her life to our Lord Jesus Christ, by serving. Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him, as we read in, uh, in verse 2, they made, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Uh, actually, this verse is closely connected with the statement of the preceding verse. Lazarus was who had being dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Now we see Lazarus sitting with them and eating. Lazarus, who was in the tomb for four days. The meal, in his case, is an evidence, a, a physical proof of his resurrection. As when the Lord Jesus Christ also rose from the dead, 
he ate with the disciples as a physical proof of the resurrection of the Lord himself. Verse 3, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Martha expressed her love by serving. Mary expressed her love by pouring a pound of pure and costly oil, rubbing the Lord's feet with the oil or perfume and drying it with her head. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Mary offered the most valuable thing she owned in order to express her love and to honor the Lord who raised her brother. So with great love she anointed his feet. It was not unusual to anoint the head of an honored guest. As Jesus rebuked Simon the Pharisee when he told him, you did not anoint my head with oil, as we read in Luke chapter 7. But it was very, very unusual to anoint the feet of one who is still living. They used to wash their feet, but not to anoint them. And spikenard is a fragrant oil, derived it from the root and a spike of hair stems of a plant called the nard, which grows in the mountains of northern India. And this was very, very costly. One pound, actually in the first century, cost 300 denarii, as Judas actually uh, estimated, as we read in verse 5. And we know from the parable of the 11th hour liberal that one denarii was the wage of a common liberal in the first century. So, 300 denarii means a year's wage. And in our time, if a worker uh, per day, he actually makes $70 per day or more, let's say 70 then 300 denarii means $21,000. Can you imagine? She got this one pound of this fragrant oil and it's cost $21,000. And she broke the uh, flask and anointed the feet of the Lord with this ointment. So the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Anointing the whole body, including the feet, was part of burial practices. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ equipped Mary's action with preparation for his burial, as we read in verse 7. So Mary unconsciously performed a prophetic act by anointing the Lord's feet. 
And in the Bible, there are three different accounts of Jesus being anointed by women in the New Testament. One account was repeated in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. And both Matthew and Mark mentioned this account to happen on Wednesday. On Wednesday. In Luke chapter 7, it's a different account, and this happened before the Holy Week. And this is the gospel that we pray in the second watch of the midnight hour. And John mentioned that Mary anointed the feet of the Lord six days before, which means on Saturday. So the question, the, the account in Luke, all the scholars and commentators agree it's different. So now the question, what happened, what Matthew and Mark mentioned to happen on Wednesday? And what John mentioned to happen on Saturday are the same account or two different accounts. And if they are the same account, why John mentioned to happen on Saturday while uh, Matthew and Mark mentioned to happen on Wednesday? Some scholars believe that Matthew Mark recording are the same event. But Matthew and Mark recorded on Wednesday, not because it happened on Wednesday, it happened on Saturday, but to compare between Mary, who poured this fragrant oil very costly, with Judas, who betrayed the Lord on Wednesday for 30 pieces of silver. So they are mentioning the two events together to make a comparison between Mary and her love and Judas and his betrayal. And uh, so this account happened on Saturday, but Matthew and Mark mentioned on Wednesday for the sake of comparison with Judas. But other scholars, they believe it's a different account, which means the Lord in the Holy Week was anointed twice on Saturday and also in Wednesday. Just I'm giving you the two opinions. There is verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 to 16. St. Paul is saying, we are the aroma of Christ. It, it brings breath of life to the believers, but it is a smell of death to those who are perishing. So St. Augustine took this verse from 2 Corinthians and reflected on what happened in the house of Lazarus. So St. Augustine said, As the sweet smelling of aroma of the Lord spread, the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the oil, it brought to some the breath of life, those who believed in Jesus. Whereas it brought the smell of this to others, the, the, the Jews and the scribes who conspired to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. This sweet smell became the smell of death for Judas. 
as we read in verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. So, Matthew told us this question was asked by the disciples. St. Mark said this question was asked by certain persons, not all the disciples. But John saying that Judas is the one who was upset and he made this comment not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. So John spoke for himself uh, and the other disciples did not join uh, Judas at the beginning, but at the end, actually, uh, Judas, when he started to speak and he mentioned the poor, so all the disciples at the end joined uh, Judas in the comment. So Judas had the money box and he used to steal and take money for himself. So consider what this event reveals to us about the character of Judah. Even before he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, Judas was a greedy, envious man to the point of stealing. He stole money that should be used to support the Lord and his ministry, but he took this money. Sometimes people think that Judas was victimized by God and he was compelled by predestination from God to betray the Lord Jesus Christ, resulting in being lost. And others try to justify or to defend Judas that by his betrayal, salvation came to the whole world. And he is just a victim for circumstances. Some made out of him a hero. But this story reveals that Judas had been evil by his own choice long before the betrayal. God did not compel Judas to do evil. And the Lord said to Judas, the son of man is going as it is written about him. Meaning, whether Judas betray him or not, the Son of Man would be crucified. So, he was led into sin through his love of money, and he became a tool of Satan. Judas condemned Mary and considered that she had acted unwisely. He judged that she had wasted money on something useless and this money could have gone to the poor. So 
Let us see how the Lord replied to Judas. In verse 7, the Lord said, But let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. So the Lord proclaimed that she had performed an inspiring prophecy. As if she had predicted his burial and the ritual involved by anointing his feet. And through her love, she could perceive the Lord's suffering, his death, his burial. And her deed proclaimed the sweet aroma of the salvation and redemption. And the Lord said to Judas, the poor you have with you always. So these words carried a hidden significance and referred to two acts, the act of Mary and the act of Judas. So the Lord is saying, there is a hidden purpose in your heart pretending that you love the poor. But in reality, you want to take this money for yourself, 300 denarii. So, while claiming to help the poor, he was delivering his master to death in a horrible deed of betrayal just for 30 pieces of silver. But the other act it was the amazing act of Mary. She embraced and honored the body of Christ that had been delivered up to die. She gave him the costly spike nard, which was the most precious thing she had. So the Lord secretly admonished Judas because he claimed to love the poor. He then returned to Mary and praised her because she seized upon an opportunity that will not recur again when he said, me, you do not have always. The poor you have with you always, but me, you do not have always. Verse 9. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So some of the pilgrims, you know, in the Feast of Passover, all the Jews come from everywhere in the world to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast there. So some of the pilgrims who had come from Jericho with the Lord, you remember, from Ephraim, he went to Jericho, to Bethany, then uh, on his way to Jerusalem. That is the trip of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, pilgrims who came with the Lord from Jericho after he healed the blind man 
would have told this in Jerusalem. When they went to Jerusalem, they told them about the miracle of raising Lazarus and also healing the blind man. So, those who came from every part in the world and were in Jerusalem, they were earnestly asking about Jesus and they want to see him. That's why now they are going in large numbers from Jerusalem to Bethany to see the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you it's two miles away. Many of them went not for this purpose only to see Jesus, but also they want to see Lazarus, a man who stayed four days in the tomb. And as more hearts were fired up with the desire to see the Lord Jesus Christ, and as faith in him increased, many believed in him, but the jealousy of the chief priest become or became more intense. The Jewish leader were determined that people should not believe in Jesus Christ. And so determined and so evil they were. So they plotted even to kill Lazarus, to destroy the evidence for Jesus claims to be the Son of God. And many of the chief priests were from were Sadducees. And the Sadducees denied the existence of resurrection. So they sought to kill Lazarus because he was a living evidence against their false doctrine. So instead of them, the religious leaders, accepted the miracle as a proof that Jesus is God, the Son of God, actually they opposed the Lord Jesus Christ and wanted to kill him. And they justified this on the claim that Jesus is guilty of blasphemy, he made himself equal to God, and also because he violated the Sabbath. So these were the two accusations. But here we can see how evil they are. They even sought to kill a completely innocent man, Lazarus, simply because Jesus had raised him from the dead. What crime had Lazarus committed? Nothing. But they wanted to kill him to prevent people from believing Jesus. St. Augustine has a beautiful comment here. He said, O foolish thought and blinded rage, as if you could, by putting Lazarus to death, take away power from the Lord, as if Christ, who had already raised one that had, been, that had died, could not as easily have raised one that was slain. So if they killed Lazarus, the Lord would raise him again. So they cannot uh, stop this miracle. St. Augustine continues and says, But lo, he has done both. Lazarus did, he has restored to life. And himself, Jesus, when he was slain, has raised himself to life. Verse 12. The next day, on Sunday, that's Palm Sunday, or we call it Hosanna Sunday. Hosanna means salvation. So it is the Sunday of salvation. 
because he entered Jerusalem to save us. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Hosanna means save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So many people had come to Jerusalem early to attend the feast of Passover. When they heard that Jesus was coming, many who expected him to be a king, son of David, who will restore the kingdom of David, determined to honor him with great processional when he entered. And they were quoting from Psalm 118 from verse 25 to 27. Osanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. This from Psalm 118. And this passage is sung on the Feast of Tabernacle and is considered to be a messianic psalm, a psalm that prophesied about the Messiah. So by quoting from Psalm 118, the crowd is acknowledging Jesus as the promised Messiah. And the waving of palms was a custom associated with the Feast of Tabernacle and Hanukkah, but was also custom associated with the celebrating of military victories and the welcoming of national rulers, as we read in the book of Maccabees. So the point is that the crowd are clearly hoping that Jesus will be nationalist, warrior king, prophesied in Daniel and in Zechariah. So they had prophecies and they want uh, these prophecies they interpreted in an uh, earthly way that the Messiah will come to be earthly king and restore the kingdom of David. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was described in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19. But they were described in more detail. But John, because they were described before in these three Gospels, so simply mentioned this in order to introduce us to this prophecy. In verse 14, Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So, John just want to introduce us to this prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. So we see here the description of entry to Jerusalem was not as detailed as Matthew. But only John quotes the prophecy from Isaiah 9 that's fulfilled when the Lord Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem. Verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. 
But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. So they did not understand first. But after the ascension glorified when he ascended to heaven, the disciples start to see the meaning of many prophecies which refer to the Lord Jesus Christ and applied them to him, which they had not fully comprehended when these events happened. Indeed, it is only in the light of the new covenant that the old covenant is to be fully understood. And the evangelist reports this observation about the disciples to indicate their failure to understand that these events fulfilled the prophecies at the time, but they understood it later after his ascension to heaven. Verse 17. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb, so the people who witnessed this uh, miracle and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the word has gone after him. These three verses, 17, 18, and 19, uh, tell us the external cause of the people coming to see Christ. Why they came to see Christ. Because of the fame of the miracle performed by our Lord Jesus Christ, raising a dead man after being in the tomb for days. So because of this miracle, many, many people came, and the entry to Jerusalem was actually accompanied by crowd of people. This increased the number of those who came to see his entrance into Jerusalem. Uh, this increased the number of those who came to see his entrance to Jerusalem. But the resurrection of Lazarus divided the people into two groups. Those who witnessed the event, they saw the Lord Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. And their faith influenced many people who have come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. But the other group, the Pharisees, are still lost in their blindness and more determined than ever to seek his death. At this time, all their fears and worries became real. What fear? That people will believe in him. So the chief priests and the Pharisees felt especially threatened as matters seemed to slip beyond their control. And they saw all the people had joined together in the procession that shook the city. That's why they said, see, you profit nothing. The world has gone after him. 
That's what the Pharisees said, being angry. That so many followed Christ, even after they had ordered that who, whoso, who's, whosoever followed him should be turned out of their synagogue. They would expel him from the synagogue. And after they had employed the men to apprehend him, but to no purpose. So, to the eyes of men, Jesus was at the height of his popularity. Who could believe that just a few days later he would be executed as common criminal? This happened on Sunday, and six days later he would be executed as criminal. Verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Who are these Greeks? Because Passover is a Jewish, a Jewish feast. So the scholars has different opinion. Some said they were pagan converts who were Greek and came and wanted to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And this incident may have taken place one day or two days uh, after the Lord had come into the city. May happen on Monday. Actually, in the Pascha week, we read this on Monday. So it could happen on Monday or Tuesday. Some scholars believe that these Greeks were originally Jewish, had been dispersed and lived in, in Greece uh, and adhered to Hellenic culture and were therefore called the Greeks. Like we Egyptians, but because we live here, we are called Americans. So could be this way. Other scholars believe that these pagans were Gentiles, Greek. And they noted that the Jews in the older time allowed some Gentiles to travel to the temple during the feast. But they used to come to the temple to worship, but without eating the Passover. Because nobody can eat the Passover except the Jews only. A third opinion, they say these Gentiles were of Venetia or Syria or inhabitant of Decapolis near the lake of Gennesaret and Bethsaida. That's why this area called the Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles. And therefore they addressed Philip because Philip was from Bethsaida. And probably he was known to them. And they told him, we wish to see Jesus. Their message to Philip conveyed their special appreciation of the Lord and their eagerness to meet and speak with him separately. Definitely they heard much concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and they wished to see the person of whom they have heard such strange things. 
And here there is a comment that the final salvation of any soul can originate just from simple curiosity. We want to see Jesus. Many have only wished to see or to hear a man who speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ, his miracle, his mercies, his teaching. And just in hearing, they felt the power of the world to come, the age to come, and have become genuine convert to the truth of the gospel. So, verse 21, Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. So, Philip seeks out his hometown friend, Andrew, because Andrew also was from Bethsaida to assist him in dealing with the request of the Greek. Andrew comes from Bethsaida, and Bethsaida is a town in northern Galilee with a large Greek culture population. That's why, as I told you in Matthew chapter 4, call this area the Galilee of the Gentiles. And this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 9. So, the Lord reply, he did not say, yes, welcome, let, come, let them come to see me, or no, I, 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 I'm busy, I cannot see them. The Lord reply was totally uh, like not expected. Verse 23, But Jesus answered to them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So the question, how this answer is related to the question that there are some Greeks want to see you, how this answer is related. This event that the Greek want to see Jesus was so significant that it prompted the Lord Jesus Christ to declare that his hour has come. Meaning, now the time is just at hand that the gospel should be preached to all nations, to the Jews and Gentiles, to the Jews and Greeks. So when the Greek said, we want to see Jesus, the Lord said, now it is the time that the gospel will be preached to everybody, not only to the Jews. Greek, also Gentiles, will be the chosen people of God. So this request of the Gentile Greek has now set the cut down to his glorification because the Lord must die in order to gather all the dispersed children of God together. Must die in order to bring the Jews and the Greek together, the Jews and the Gentiles together. So it is his sacrificial death that will secure eternal blessing 
not only for God's covenant people Israel, but for all mankind who will become partakers in the gift of eternal life. That's why he said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, I will be glorified through my death and my resurrection, and I will bring everybody in unity in my body, the body of Christ. The disciples were the first fruit of the Jews, and these Greek were the first fruits of the Gentiles. St. John Chrysostom states that the Lord had previously told the disciples, don't go in the way of the Gentiles. As we read in Matthew 10, he instructed them to go only to the lost sheep of Israel. However, at the hour of his crucifixion, when this hour drew nearer, the doors to the Gentiles would be opened, and the time for preaching to the Gentiles had come. Uh, when you attend this Sunday after tomorrow, the first Sunday of Tuba, which usually comes after the Feast of Nativity, you know, we read in the Feast of Nativity the Gospel of the wise men who were Gentiles. So the church emphasizing that Jesus did not come only to Israel, but also the Gentiles. So if you focus on the reading on Sunday, all the readings are about the acceptance of the Gentiles. And the gospel is about the flight to Egypt because his flight to Egypt was another indication that he came not only to Israel, but also to the Gentiles. And now he said, the, uh, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. I will bring the Jews and the Gentiles together. And the Lord here compared himself to a grain of wheat. His death, like grain sown and decomposed in ground. His resurrection, when the blade which springs up from the dead grain, and the grain thus dying, bring forth abundance of fruit. So he must die to bring fruit from the Gentiles and the Jews. And this how he will be glorified. And unless he is glorified, he cannot establish a glorious church of the Jews and Gentiles upon the earth together. St. Augustine addressed this apparent paradox between Christ's humiliation in death and glorification, how his death is considered glorification. So St. Augustine said, it was appropriate that the loftiness of his glorification should be preceded by the lowliness of his passion. Then, verse 25 and 26, 
which is the last verses in our Bible study tonight, he said, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So again, why the Lord now, after he spoke about his glorification and bringing the Gentiles, now why he's speaking about us and if we love our life, we lose it. If we hate our life, we will keep it for eternal life. So this principle that we must die in order to live, the same principle holds true for the disciples. And each followers, each follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is about to give up his life for the salvation of the world. But he shall speedily receive it back with everlasting honor by his resurrection from the dead. So in this, he should be imitated by us, his disciples, who should when called to it, called to deny ourselves or to sacrifice our life, to lay down our life for the truth, if they do, we will, they, they shall receive the, our souls again with everlasting honor in heaven. So all of us who are called to carry the cross, if we want to be glorified with him, if we suffer with him, we'll be glorified with him. And we see here how the Lord's death has changed the meaning and value of death and also altered our view of life. Death has become a requirement that's necessary to the promotion of a full and fruitful life. You need to deny yourself. And a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ becomes evident in anyone who dies to his old life and being crucified to the world. St. Anthony the Great, when he saw his father dead, he looked at him and he said to his father after he dies, you left the world unwillingly, but I will leave the world willingly. And that's why he went, distributed all what he had, and he went to the desert to die to the world and to live to Christ. If St. Anthony didn't do this, wouldn't maybe know anything about him until now. So, first the Lord presented a new meaning for death and life in the light of his crucifixion, death, and resurrection. Now he is presenting a new meaning for service and ministry. When he said, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So being a minister or being a servant does not involve the mere offering services to others. Just I'm offering services to others. No. But it implies 
achieving union with the true and unique servant. Let him follow me. So it's a union with the Lord Jesus Christ and joining and following him on the road to Gethsemane. That is the real meaning of service. Let him follow me. Not just because all the philanthropic organization, uh, humanitarian uh, organization, they serve people. Even they are atheists. But a Christian servant not only offers services to the people. Anybody can do this. But a Christian servant should be a follower to the Lord Jesus Christ, to Gethsemane, to Golgotha, and to the Mount of Olive. He who wished to serve the Lord Jesus Christ must become his disciples, that he may be taught, taught by Jesus. So I want to be a disciple of Christ, that he may teach me. And to become the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, employed by him, and obey my master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he gave two promises. The first promise, where I am, there my servant will be also. So we will be with Christ in eternal fellowship with him. Those who serve him and join him and follow him will be there with Christ. And the second promise him my father will honor. He shall be honored by the Lord and by the Father. He shall have an abundant reward in glory. As St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 9, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man. This will conclude our Bible study tonight. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.